Hi, we're Visible, the wireless company with nothing to hide. Get unlimited 5G data powered by Verizon for $25 a month. Taxes and fees included. Sorry, hidden fees. We're just not into you. Switch today at Visible.com. Rate with service on the Visible plan. For additional terms and network management practices, see Visible.com. Hey everyone, welcome to the Orange and Black Insider Bengals podcast. I am Anthony Cazenza from CincyJungle.com and this is your Monday week start Bengals and NFL news update. I hope you are all doing well despite what happened. We're not talking about a loss. We're not talking about a loss for the first time in a long time. We're not talking about a Bengals loss. We're not talking about a win, unfortunately. We're talking about ties at this point in time. Hopefully you joined us for the post-game show yesterday as I broke down everything um, to give you a lot of different stats and insight on what happened with the Cincinnati Bengals tying the Philadelphia Eagles 23-23 in week three. And I have to apologize to all of you because I usually do these every week. And for some reason, it slipped my mind last week with all the craziness and busyness of Bengals coverage and life and all that stuff. We did not do a Monday news jump last week. So That is my fault, and I apologize for those of you who look forward to this program. Hopefully a lot of you look forward to this specific program, the Monday News Jump. So let's get to it. I'm going to share quite a few different things with you. If you're new to this, this is not an overly heavy analysis type of show. It's kind of running you through a lot of different headlines, giving you a couple little uh, pieces of news, both from the Bengals standpoint breaking down what happened the game, uh, you know, these this, these headlines breaking down a little bit of what what's happening in the games or what happened in the games. And then, of course, uh, give you a little spin around the AFC North and the NFL to keep you up to date on all things going on with football. So let's, let's start here. As usual, I'm going to kind of share my screen here. Um, there are a couple of different areas I want to start, but I guess I'm going to, in doing just a quick search, for those of you who love Pro Football Focus and doing a quick search of Bengals and PFF on Twitter, um, these are a couple of things that I came up with here. You can see at the top from the at PFF underscore Bengals account. This is the Pro Football Focus account that specifically covers the Cincinnati Bengals. Um, they have kind of subsets within um, you know each team for, for PFF grades. But you can see here, look at the overall grades um, for Joe Burrow. Uh, mid to high 80s kind of across the board, and it was the best game of his career. And I think um, from their metrics, it was their best game of their career. And I think you could kind of see that. I mean, there were even plays, that play that he he had made where he eluded pressure and threw an absolute dart down the field to T. Higgins, which unfortunately Higgins had been pushed out of bounds, re-entered, and then was the first guy to touch the ball. So that play didn't even end up – you know, counting towards Joe Burrow's stats, nor uh, could the Bengals kind of sustain a drive at that point. Um, So, you know, kind of almost took points off the board too. But at any rate, those kind of plays aren't even involved in these. So you see the 86.5 overall grade by at PFF Bengals. And then Evan McPhillips, who has been on the Orange and Black Insider Bengals podcast before, um, he works for PFF, does some, you know, Bengals grades there. You can kind of see a snapshot of, some of the players, some of the young players, the rookies there, 
Uh, Joe Burrow, 86.5. Higgins, interestingly enough, only a 66.9. I think, you know, the stepping out of bounds play that I mentioned, I think also the, you know, if you if you want to credit him with a drop on that deep ball that Burrow kind of floated to him late in the game, the defender was there, but kind of a ball you think Higgins comes down with most of the time. Um, you know, so maybe that plays into a low score there. High score for Khalid Kareem, but you can see only seven snaps to his name there. A good score from Logan Wilson, 83.9, um, you know, with the interception, and he had a couple nice stops for, for minimal gains on a couple of plays. And Akeem Davis Gaither, yikes, 29.5 on two plays. There were two diametrically opposite plays where he was covering Miles Sanders out of the backfield. One, he was absolutely beat. Um, and Wentz just happened to overshoot Miles Sanders, which would have been a touchdown, easy touchdown. And, um, you know, fortunately for the Bengals, that didn't take place. But on another one, he actually was step for step on kind of a very similar play. It looked like a wheel route to the running back, but 29.5 for Davis Gaither there. Yikes. Uh, I want to go down here. Our good friend from the program, Jake Liskow, has a um, with the Locked On Bengals podcast. He has an interesting relay of the PFF stats here. The Bengals offensive line not to give up uh, a pressure in week three was Trey Hopkins. So um, that was that was interesting. Uh, Josh Sweat did get a sack. I, I mentioned yesterday, Josh Sweat did get uh, a sack on Jonah Williams. I thought Jonah Williams played pretty well, but going back and watching some of the stuff, I did see, you know, Sweat beat Jonah with that sack. Um, you know, and you see the, the pressure numbers here, Hart with six, Price with three and one half, and then Jordan. Um, so the other, the other interesting stat that I, that I found, uh, for PFF purposes and, or what, you know, how they've credited the sacks and the pressures and all of that, um, they, they put five of the sacks, five of the eight sacks on Joe Burrow. Um, they, they gave the blame to Burrow himself on five of those sacks, I believe. So, that's a, a pretty interesting meaning. He kind of ran into some pressure. I don't necessarily agree with five. I did see, I, I thought I saw about two or three, maybe that Burrow uh, kind of ran into some pressure uh, or held the ball a little bit, but um, there were other times that, you know, he, he gets the snap and, and guys are in the backfield. It's the same thing with Joe Mixon getting the ball. So the offensive line um, needs to be retooled and uh, they got to fix some things fast. This Eagles team, they got eight sacks against the Bengals this week um, really, really struggled the week prior to get to the quarterback. So obviously they not only made some adjustments, but they went up against a Bengals offensive line that is really, really struggling. Who knows? Um, you know, Xavier Suofilo has uh, had the ankle injury. He They put him on IR because IR rules are a little different this year. He can come back a lot sooner. So who knows when he comes back and if he's going to be a major upgrade of some kind in this in this system. I don't I don't know that he would be. I don't know that he would be worse <laughs> and I don't know that he would be a major upgrade just given the trajectory of his career that we've seen, but that's something to, to kind of look forward to right now. Seeing a lot of people already, you know, over the last couple of days talking about wanting coaching staff members fired, uh, heads to roll, that sort of thing. I, I understand um, my, my point in, in my platform here, I'm not going to call for people to get fired. That's just not really, what I, what I like to do. I mean, obviously when there's egregious type of things, um, you point that out, but, uh, you know, we are only still in three games of the Zach Taylor and Joe Burrow era. Joe Burrow looks to be every bit of the part of a franchise quarterback. Now it's up to Zach Taylor and the team to live up to their end of the bargain, protect him because, 
13 sacks, I believe it is, uh, in in three games. That's that's not gonna that's not gonna do it. And the pressures just keep mounting, and the big hits on Joe Burrow keep mounting. So, um, got to got to get something fixed here. Let's share. I'm gonna share uh, some other things here. This is going to be the uh, from CincyJungle.com the 928 news jump here. Uh, I'm not going to go through every single one of these, but these are good, you know, kind of a, a bunch of links for folks to look at um, concerning the Bengals and the NFL. I, I do reference this on the Monday News Jump, but interesting stuff here. Just, you know, kind of some some quotes. Joe Burrow on the tie, you don't win. If you don't win, you lose was kind of his mantra. And if you saw Joe Burrow or watched him in the Bengals post game. Uh, interviews, um, you know, before you joined me for the post game show, um, you would have you would have seen that Joe Burrow was very upset, very upset about e- even a tie and the fact that he is 0-2 and one. A lot of these guys, T. Higgins, a guy who who won a national championship one year and played for another the, the next year at the college level. Um, Joe Burrow, national champion, Heisman winner, was on Ohio State, a very competitive team before he, he went to LSU. These are guys that are not used to losing and not not used to not winning multiple games consecutively. So these guys are, are a little uh, unaccustomed to what's been happening to start this season. So you can see the, the quotes from, from Joe Burrow here. If you don't win, you lose, basically, is kind of the mantra. We're going to get to Zach Taylor's comments in a minute because I, I actually, even though I, I said this isn't a true over um, a heavy analysis type of show, the Monday News Jump, I do have some thoughts that I was thinking about last night after the postgame show and into this morning that I wanted to share with you all. Um, and just kind of some food for thought on some things that popped up in my mind. Um this this is kind of interesting, still winless, but Bengals rookie Joe Burrow showing progress. Obviously, he was 31 of 44 for 312 yards, two touchdowns, no interceptions. No interceptions the past two games, five passing touchdowns total. And uh, really, in all three games, the quarterback did his part to get the team in position to win. He had the one egregious interception in the first game, but... Um, you know, and, and he did have a, a, a fumble on a sack against the Browns, but he's taking care of the ball as a rookie quarterback. And that's a, especially, especially impressive because of the lack of protection that he is getting behind the Bengals offensive line. I would be curious about this. And this is just kind of, a, I guess, a little um, food for thought for you all. I, I would be curious what Bengals fans would be more angry at in terms of what a, a decision that the coach, their respective coach made in this particular game. And what I mean by that is Zach Taylor, you saw a couple times, he sat on the ball at the end of the fourth quarter to get into overtime. He just kind of did the draw deep in his own territory with 13 seconds left to get the tie. Uh, there was another decision he made uh, on the first drive of the game to not go for it in Eagles territory, fourth and short. So a lot of questions there, but I think a lot of people, and, and some disagree with it, but a lot of people have maybe had some issues of, of Zach Taylor kneeling at the end of the fourth quarter or doing the draw play at the at the end of overtime to just kind of take the tie and get out of there. Well, on the other sideline, Doug Peterson's getting quite a bit of flack because he didn't even try the field goal. Granted, it would have been a long field goal, it would have been a career long um, and then, of course, just really the, the penalties at the end of that game for for the Eagles were just mind-boggling as they were driving to get that game-winning field goal. But 
you know, a lot of people are, are saying, why would, why didn't you even, if you're Doug Peterson, why didn't you even try the potential game winning field goal, even though it would have been from, you know, 64 plus yards, um, which would have been a, a tough kick for Jake Elliott to make, but um, you know, he's, he's shown he's got a pretty good leg. So didn't even try it. Uh, I think both coaches, maybe, you know, if you're, if you're Doug Peterson, maybe you're sitting there saying to yourself, what if, what if Elliot comes up short on this big kick, the Bengals put back a, a, one of their good return men in Phillips or Wilson, and they somehow bring it all the way back for a score. Um, you know, Zach Taylor at the end of the game, what if Joe Burrow throws a pick six? What if he gets crushed and uh, get not only gets hurt, based on the lack of protection we have been giving him all game. What if he, it's a sack fumble, they return and it's a loss. So, I mean, I, I understand the kind of uh, playing devil's advocate a little bit against these decisions, but uh, really interesting, the decisions that both coaches made almost kind of just conceding to the fact that, Hey, given these real tough circumstances to potentially score and win the game in overtime, let's just take the tie and move on. Um, uh, I, I don't know how well that's sitting based on those respective decisions with either fan base today. Um, this is uh, this is also interesting here. The the NFL fined several Bengals and Browns players after the Week Two game against Cleveland. So uh, you know there's there's a lot a lot of money being. Uh, <laughs> Given out here, this is courtesy of Bengals Wire, our good buddy Chris Rowling over there, who does some great work and coverage there, uh, relaying this. But basically, according to Jay Morrison of The Athletic, um, here's a couple of Browns players that were fined um, based on bad blocks, lowering the helmet, that sort of thing. And then actually, Khalid Kareem was hit uh, with a pretty big fine for a hit on Baker Mayfield. If you remember that one, that was the one where Baker threw the interception at the end of the game. And uh, Kareem just kind of, uh, it, it, it was a little cheap, I guess, because Baker's head wasn't on a swivel and they protect the quarterback. But, um, you know, it wasn't a helmet to helmet thing. It was just kind of a rough hit. And by the way, if you're wondering, I would assume that Malik Jackson's probably going to get a similar, if not even higher fine for his hit against Joe Burrow in this game. If you remember that Burrow let go of the ball, took at least a step, if not two. And Malik Jackson just drilled him right in the, in the chest and shoulder area, maybe even a little bit in the chin, but um, Burrow had to leave the game for a snap, came back in and then obviously played well the rest of the way. So that is uh, what's going on with, with, in the world of fines as it goes with the Cincinnati Bengals. I'm Anthony Cazenza with CincyJungle.com and the Orange and Black Insider Bengals podcast. Thanks for joining us. We're going to be here for a few more minutes to get your week started. It's the Monday Bengals and NFL News Jump on Cincy Jungle and the Orange and Black Insider. Appreciate you tuning in and, you know, trying to commiserate with what the Bengals – season has been in terms of its 0-2-1 start. We're all trying to grasp for answers here. I see a lot of questions, you know, why why not uh, Cal, Shaq Calhoun, the guard that the Bengals picked up uh, after final cuts? I mentioned him in our postgame show. I mean, yeah, maybe give him a shot this week. You benched Fred Johnson after six quarters at right guard. Billy Price gave you a couple of good moments yesterday, but uh, had a couple of penalties and then, you know, allowed some pressures at right guard. So you're still waiting on Suofilo to come back and be healthy. So maybe Calhoun is a guy they turn to now. 
a guy who has started some games with the Dolphins previously before the Bengals picked him up. Maybe that's that's one. I want to say that I, I see this here. Uh, Jeremy DeBusk saying, "Is it is it fair to say Ross is a bust? More like Peter Warwick? I don't I don't know what Peter Warwick really. Those are two kind of different players there. Um, but is it fair to say Ross is a bust? I wanted to say I wanted to bring this one back." Um, to you here. This is if if you joined us on the post game show, you would have heard quite a few quotes I relayed about Tyler Boyd and def- coming to the defense of Joe Burrow in terms of you know he's he wants to fight anybody that hits Joe Burrow. Uh, he want you know he he can't picture playing with a quarterback who has as much toughness as Joe Burrow. He loves playing with him, and of course Tyler Boyd had ten catches for 125 yards yesterday in his really the go-to guy, especially on those critical third and fourth down plays, really a go-to guy for Joe Burrow. I want to say this, though. If you look here, this is another article on cincyjungle.com. You know, Tyler Boyd talking about uh, some quotes. I I believe it's relayed from bangles.com. It is. Uh, So this is is an interesting spot. I kind of scrolled down late in the article here. Talking about Ross being... Scra- uh, healthy scratch and Boyd maybe speaking for Ross a little bit saying we have talks all the time quote Boyd said of Ross I don't feel like he's down meaning Ross being down because it's only week three we are going to need him at some point in time his number is going to be called again it's the NFL it's a business at the end of the day as long as he's not taking it personal we were all in that position before I was in that position before and other guys were in that position before he understands his worth He's straight. So it sounds like, at least through Boyd, it sounds like Ross isn't taking this necessarily too hard. Um, I, I don't I don't know how he couldn't take it. It's at least somewhat difficult because when you're healthy and the big knock with Ross is he wasn't ever really healthy enough to play. And now he's healthy and he's just, when he's out there, he's just kind of lost. And the effort level doesn't seem to be there. The rapport doesn't seem to be there with Joe Burrow. And that's why the Bengals made uh, the move here. And the week prior, Auden Tate was the healthy scratch and they gave the opportunity to Ross and he didn't do very much with it. Auden Tate didn't light the world on fire this week being active, but he did draw a pass interference penalty in the end zone. And I believe he had a, a catch as well. So a little bit more contributions than Ross the week prior, but interesting situation in the wide receiver group. And I don't know that the Bengals will be looking to trade John Ross at some point this season. If there is a market for him, I would assume the market is pretty low. And I also don't know if the Bengals may be looking to trade AJ Green in some capacity if this season gets out of control. Um, AJ Green's making catches, but they're not the explosive plays. There were a couple of open explosive plays for AJ Green to have in the first couple of weeks and they were missed. Um, So, you know, they, that's the Burrow kind of missed him on one play against the Chargers. And then there was kind of a tough ball down the left sideline against the Browns. That was a deep ball. Green made an outstanding effort on it, but it was ruled out of bounds. So, um, you know, a couple of big plays have been there. It just unfortunately has not been clicking. Uh, real quick, Joe Burrow's making NFL history uh, as a rookie quarterback setting records in these first three games. As you know, he has been quite impressive 
especially the the past couple of weeks, throwing five touchdowns against zero interceptions, two with zero yesterday. But this is uh, a little bit of stat here from at NFL 345, and you can see the article on cincyjungle.com. Joe Burrow has 91 completions, and they are most by a player through his first three career games ever, ever. So that's better than a lot of former number one overall picks in recent years. I believe Kyler Murray was up there uh, and a, a few others uh, in their in their first few starts. So, um, look, I, I know it's I know it's kind of the moral victories in Joe Burrow himself saying we're not looking for any kind of moral victories here, whether that's talking about a tie or, you know, his his gaudy stats. Uh, but this is something at least you can kind of continue to point to and say, look, Joe Burrow, despite the poor offensive line play is showing all of the traits that you want from a franchise quarterback and these 91 completions in three games, even with struggles in that first game, he's showing that he's got the stuff to be the guy for the Cincinnati Bengals. It's up to the Bengals to keep him upright. It's up to the Bengals to keep him happy and it's up to the Bengals to surround him with enough talent. I'm going to end here and with a couple of thoughts on it. Uh, there were some interesting post-game quotes from Zach Taylor, and I'm going to share those. These are courtesy of Bengals.com. Um, and then, of course, we'll take a quick spin around um, around the NFL. Real quick, actually, I want to just share this one, too. These, these are the snap counts that... I, I, that I always think are kind of interesting, especially after, uh, you know, when you, when you kind of examine a game after the fact. Um, so here's again, the snap counts. This is on cincyjungle.com. Uh, this, this one right here up top, the Eagles 91 plays on offense says a lot about the defense Says a lot about their potential fatigue says a lot. And granted again, five quarters, this is five quarters of football. This is not four quarters. So that plays into it. Still 91 plays that your defense is out there, not ideal. And at the end of the game in the, in the fourth quarter, the Bengals were up by seven and they had a chance to really shut the door and two huge pass interference penalties by each of their starting boundary corners, William Jackson and Darius Phillips, kept that drive alive and ultimately let the Eagles score the, the game-tying touchdown, which led to the tie overall. Carlos Dunlap did say he thought he was held on this one play uh, to, to potentially sack Carson Wentz. I think it was on the on the play that he ended up diving for the into the end zone for that tying score, so uh, take that for what you will. But Interesting. Interestingly enough, here's a, just a couple of other little notes. 57 snaps from T. Higgins. He was out there quite a bit, had the two touchdown catches, five catches overall. Looks like an emerging player. Still kind of has taken those rookie lumps, like I said, on that deep ball. Maybe should have had that one. And, um, you know, take that for what you will. But overall, a, a pretty good game for T. Higgins, and he's emerging as a good threat for um, – for Joe Burrow, Tyler Boyd and AJ Green, 54 and 55 snaps, respectively. Sean Williams uh, really um, wasn't wasn't out there very much. <laughs> and then, of course, you look at Von Bell and Jesse Bates, 91 snaps each. So I, I found I know they're trying to ease Sean Williams back because of his injury. But I know that the, the entire plan with that is really in some packages to have Sean Williams, Von Bell and Jesse Bates on the field at the same time. And also, I think. What 
may have uh, played a factor into Williams not playing as much on defense. Early in the game, Dallas Godert, uh, one of their tight ends that they really wanted to use alongside Zach Ertz, he left the game. So, you know, I think the Bengals felt like they didn't have that dual tight end threat situation uh, as much from Philadelphia. So maybe that played into it. But, um, you know, interesting statistics here in terms of snap counts. Here's again uh, a handful of uh, a snapshot of all the, the snap counts here. And you can see the percentage of snaps. Um, John Ross, the old DNP there. Uh, Michael Jordan, again, 100% of the snaps. Trey Hopkins, the same. By the way, Trey Hopkins graded out as the best Bengals offensive lineman. Probably not a surprise this week by Pro Football Focus. So, Go to cincyjungle.com. You can see all the snap counts here. Mackenzie Alexander playing 84 snaps. That's quite a few for him. He actually had a decent day. 25 snaps for Akeem Davis-Gaither. His snap counts are increasing by the week. And then, of course, Darius Phillips out there for 98% of the defensive plays. So uh, check that out as well. Hi, we're Visible. We're the wireless company with nothing to hide. Seriously. Hidden fees? We don't have them. Annual contracts? Not our thing. Great wireless on just one line? Now that's more like it. Get unlimited 5G data powered by Verizon for just $25 a month. Taxes and fees included. That's right, $25 a month every month. Sorry, hidden fees. We're just not that into you. Sometimes the choice is just visible. Switch today at visible.com. Rate with service on the Visible plan. For additional terms and network management practices, see visible.com. Now I wanted to go quickly to... Some comments by Zach Taylor in uh, in the post game. Unfortunately, some of it is a little bit of the coach speak ilk, uh, so that gets a little a little frustrating. But I, it prompted these quotes, not necessarily prompted the thoughts, but I did kind of have some of my own thoughts based on. Zach Taylor's pedigree and where he where he came uh, from in terms of the Rams. So let me just tell you that let me just kind of relay this here. I've never tied in my life. It feels strange for sure. This is Zach Taylor talking about the result yesterday, courtesy of Bengals.com. I've never tied in my life. It feels strange for sure. I know it sure as hell doesn't feel like we won. That that's what I can tell you. There's so many opportunities we had out there. We just missed that one game breaking play there at the end. Um, sounds familiar, doesn't it? We we're trying to figure that out. We'll try and keep evaluating in terms of the struggles at right guard on whether or not he's worried about Joe Burrow being sacked eight times. We're just trying to win the football game. That's the bottom line. We can't just have a free runner, a three technique come clean every single time. That's something we have to fix right away. I don't care what play you call. You're going to have problems when you can't block a guy for a second. That part is frustrating. So we just have to continue to prove it and give ourselves a better chance to win. And a lot of this is another uh, critical factor. I didn't really I talked about it on my Twitter account yesterday when it happened, but not in the postgame show per se. But the bullet kick out of bounds. Um, that uh, in the second half there, that was kind of a big, a big deal. The Bengals had just scored a touchdown and they respond right away by kicking the ball out of bounds. And that, uh, that was a big deal. Eagles got points on that drive. So it's mistakes like that, you know, it's kind of, uh, and I think this is where a lot of people are frustrated with, with Zach Taylor so far, even though we're only 19 games into his coaching career, I think where, where a lot of people are getting frustrated, including myself, there is a massively positive thing that that happens in in a game whether that's the logan wilson interception whether that's a touchdown by joe burrow to t higgins 
Um, whether you know you you get you get down and you get the seven point lead, one phase of the game does something very very well, and instead of the other phase that needs to respond and do something well to keep that positive momentum going it ends up falling kind of flat on their face. The Bengals were not really great at causing turnovers this year. They didn't create any in the first game. They had one interception late against Baker Mayfield, but this week they had two interceptions against Carson Wentz and they gave the ball on short fields to, to Joe Burrow and uh, you know, gave helped out the offense. Well, the offense only scored three points off of turnovers. That's not good, especially when you're playing a team on the road. And then, of course, I mentioned the Randy Bullock kickoff. These are just microcosms of things where, play, you know, different phases of the team are not stepping up after one phase ends up doing something extremely positive. It, when when one phase works and gets you the play you need, the other phase has to follow it up and be uh, with another positive play and keep that momentum. Um. This is this is kind of what I was thinking about, and I'll kind of end the Bengals part of the news uh, news jump here, and then we'll take a quick spin around the NFL because we're going a little long here. But basically, over the last you know 12, 18 hours, whatever, I I was thinking back to Zach Taylor's time with the Los Angeles Rams, and if you remember, Zach Taylor was an assistant wide receivers coach, got promoted to quarterbacks coach, was never a coordinator there, but they had this interesting layout and we thought we knew that Zach Taylor would bring a lot of the McVay type of offense and approach as a coach over to Cincinnati. Obviously Taylor would kind of bring in quote unquote, his own guys, which he has. And we knew that, you know, there would be some wrinkles in the system that are different from McVay, but there are a lot of things that he wanted to try to emulate while working under McVay and bring that to Cincinnati. Well, with the two facets that I kind of thought about that was interesting is really a coaching staff construction type of situation. McVay had a really robust offensive coaching staff behind him. He had a, he had an offensive coordinator. He had positional assistant coaches and then of course position coaches. But what he also had was a run. He has a, he has a, a direct, a currently a direct assistant coach that is just assistant to the head coach is the title. And then he has a he had when Zach Taylor was there and still has a run game coordinator and a passing game coordinator. Interestingly enough, the passing game coordinator, both then and now, is Shane Waldron, a guy that the Cincinnati Bengals interviewed alongside Zach Taylor for this head coaching position. They they went with Zach Taylor, who his only offensive coordinator experience in the NFL was kind of an interim situation with the Miami Dolphins. Um, and you know, you, you so you bring that in experience in terms of kind of bypassing the coordinator level and going right into a head coach. And you would think that if he's going to call the plays, he's going to hire an offensive coordinator that is unproven himself in Brian Callahan. You would think that Zach Taylor then would say, you know, I want to kind of emulate what McVeigh did and have a run game coordinator, a passing game coordinator. So I am pro maybe propping myself up a bit more, especially as a young, inexperienced coach, the way McVay did. And granted, Zach Taylor's a sharp guy. He's got a good offensive mind. There's no doubt about that, even though there's kind of some inconsistencies in play calling and results, obviously, with the record. But the point is, you would think that he would look at 
the coaching staff construction and what he was around that was so successful, got him to a Super Bowl in L.A., and he hasn't brought that. As of now, the Bengals do not have at least two, if not three, of the offensive uh, or kind of assistant-level coaches that McVay had that I mentioned. They do not have a run game coordinator. They do not have a passing game coordinator, and they don't have a coach that is at least labeled an assistant to the head coach whatever the responsibilities would lie there. So that was one thought. And I don't know if that's Zach Taylor kind of saying, I can do this stuff on my own or not. Or I don't know if it, he came to uh, the Bengals proposed that he wants some of these coaching positions and the ownership said that's, that's too much in terms of a coaching staff. We don't need that. Let's do it this way and go from there. That may be one thing. The other thing too, that made me think about, obviously there's a lot of talk about the offensive line, Zach Taylor was either there in LA or shortly after he, he arrived in LA uh, major acquisitions or reacquisitions on the offensive line were made in his time there. Uh, Andrew Whitworth, who, by the way, through two weeks, we have yet to, to get the, the confirmation through pro football focus, but through two weeks, Andrew Whitworth, former Bengals offensive tackle, who was, by organizational standards, they thought he was washed up. He was, through two weeks, the top offensive lineman ranked by PFF standards. The, the Rams brought him back while Zach Taylor, or brought him there while Zach Taylor was there. They brought in Roger Saffold, a guy. Uh, they had him there, but they re-signed him. He was a critical guy on their offensive line in the Super Bowl run. And then they had some other guys, Havenstein, a guy that they kept re-signing, re-signing. He was there for a long time, a couple of other guys. So, my point is whether it's getting an outside player or re-signing a valuable player on the offensive line, Zach Taylor was there and witnessed the importance of keeping those guys on the offensive line. And this, since he's been in Cincinnati, Cincinnati, granted it's only been two off seasons, really the only notable, I mean, there was John, the John Jerry's of the world and yes, Shaq Calhoun and, and whatnot, but really the only notable free agency acquisition that the team made on the offensive line was Xavier Suofilo. They had to shed the Cordy Glenn situation. They did that. Um, they tried to make Fred Johnson work. It appears that that is not working. And so now, you know, when you bypass a potential Jack Conklin, who is out there, who, by the way, went to Cleveland. I don't know. It just brings questions and you kind of say, well, why didn't he adopt? If he adopted so many things from the Rams, why would he not adopt these two critical facets that seem to be so you could point to as why McVay has had so much success on offense. So anyway, a little bit of extra analysis on the Monday news jump that I don't normally provide on this show, but just some thoughts I wanted to relay on this program. Maybe I'm just reaching and trying to struggle for answers as everybody is right now. But uh, that is something that I just wanted to share. Uh, quickly around the NFL, Russell Wilson set a, going back to this, um, by the way, the Cincy Jungle News Jump uh article here. Russell Wilson set a touch NFL touchdown record, giving him 14 through three games, which breaks Patrick Mahomes record of 13 set a couple of years ago. So Russell Wilson still, still dealing. And it tells you as it always does that uh, this is a quarterback driven league. And thankfully the Bengals seem to have a very, very good quarterback. It's just a matter of 
getting him the help up front and getting him the help that he needs around him. Uh, but Russell Wilson, congratulations. That's a, uh, it's a big, it's a big feat, and his his defense is not where it was definitely when they were making the Super Bowl. But he has been playing very, very well through these first three uh, first three weeks. The Seahawks beat the Cowboys thirty eight thirty one. So um, Seahawks off to a good start to the season. The Raiders, who were looking pretty formidable, uh, ended up kind of getting steamrolled a little bit by the Patriots. So uh, that was that was kind of a big game, and, and would have been a nice step for the Raiders in terms of their development. By the way, they also had got a little wrist slap, not only for uh, coaches not wearing face masks properly on the sideline, but apparently there was an uncredentialed person in the locker room. And that is also a big no, no uh, during the times of, of COVID and, and whatnot, while they're trying to limit the amount of people going in and out of locker room. So the Raiders kind of not a great week for them, a loss and some fines and whatnot for them. Nick Foles comes in for the bears and gets the win. Um, so uh, Trubisky, Mitchell Trubisky, former top two pick by the bears ended up struggling and Foles comes in and does, does what Nick Foles does comes in relief of a struggling or an injured quarterback and ends up playing well through three touchdown passes in the second half as bears beat uh, the Falcons. Not a good year for the Falcons, by the way. Yikes. Uh, A couple of other uh, notes around the league in case you do not know uh, the, the chiefs and the Ravens play tonight. So that'll be an interesting game to keep an eye on, but the Steelers who were down to the Houston Texans on their home field ended up pulling out a win. So the Steelers are now 3-0. The Browns, who were down to the Redskins, uh, ended up beating them on their home field. So the Browns are now 2-1, and and the Bengals are winless in the division. And the Ravens, by the way, are 2-0. and This will be a big game for them tonight. So Bengals are in the cellar looking up, uh, unfortunately, and they already have – one divisional loss to their name. They play the Ravens in a couple of weeks. They got the Jags first and then Baltimore. So not uh, not ideal for the Cincinnati Bengals going forward. And um, hopefully they start to turn things around, especially in this competitive AFC North. So that's going to do it for us. I went a little longer than usual, but there was a lot to get to today. And I added a couple of extra thoughts. I'm Anthony Cazenza with CincyJungle.com. Thanks for joining the Monday News Jump. Just to remind you, you can get join us for the Monday News Jump here on Cincy Jungle's Facebook page, our YouTube page there on the, by my left shoulder here. There's a, if you're joining us via YouTube, there's a subscribe button. So click that. Get all of Orange and Black Insider content from uh, from our YouTube channel, including Chalk Talk episodes by Matt Minnick. There is a lot of different podcasts on the Cincy Jungle Podcast Network, including our own. Uh, there's Orange is the New Black with Zim Houday and Ace Boogie. There's Chalk Talk with Matt Minnick, as I mentioned. And then there's we're doing a lot of crossover projects, so check that out. We do a deep dive on the Orange and Black Insider. John Sheeran, Cincy Jungle contributor, and myself. On Wednesday, we do some deep analysis, a longer show. So check that out. We do listener questions live on most Fridays to end the week and start your pregame process. And then we've got a pregame show brought to you by Narragansett Beer on Sundays, an hour before kickoff, leading right up to kickoff. So join us for that. Thanks, everybody, for tuning in. Things will get better. Let's hope. Let's hope.
hoping things could get better. Bengals are out 2 and one after a tie at a 23-23 result against Philadelphia. Hi, we're Visible. We're the wireless company with nothing to hide. Seriously. Hidden fees? We don't have them. Annual contracts? Not our thing. Great wireless on just one line? Now that's more like it. Get unlimited 5G data powered by Verizon for just $25 a month. Taxes and fees included. That's right. $25 a month? Every month. Sorry, hidden fees. We're just not that into you. Sometimes the choice is just Visible. Switch today at Visible.com. Rate with service on the Visible plan. For additional terms and network management practices, see Visible.com.